Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Today we're doing a follow-up because we had such an exciting episode with Corey Sanders. She's a pharmacist and founder of Huna Health and the president of the Hawaii Pharmacists Association. And when we talked with her last, just a few short weeks ago, we were talking about different ways to determine if medications would be effective before you take the medicine. Some really high-profile medications that a lot of folks are on, like Plavix, and how important it is to maybe consider doing some testing to see what your body's response would be to medication. It's certainly not a one-size-fits-all kind of approach. So we're going to do a follow-up today because we actually have a report to review, and we're going to review a little bit more detail about some of these medications and why knowing your genetic predisposition to how you metabolize or respond to these medications could be a game changer depending on your health condition. So thank you for joining me again on The Body Show. Hey, Dr. Kozak. So happy to be back. So let's do a quick recap of what we discussed last time. A lot of times people have medical conditions, they get prescribed medication, there's an assumption one size fits all, this dose is going to be great for you, it's the same dose for everybody, and the reality is that our bodies metabolize things uniquely, and sometimes we don't know how we'll respond to certain medicines, and it may not be a one size fits all. That is exactly correct. And I said this last episode too, but a huge, huge amount of drug development is re- and research is done on Caucasian populations. And one of the reasons I'm so passionate about pharmacogenomic testing here in Hawaii is that we have such a uniquely diverse population that there's a potential that there's a, just a different standard of care here in our state. And it's so important to be able to realize that before the point of prescribing to kind of hopefully mitigate some of these adverse drug reactions and find the target therapy right from the start. So let's let's take a look at this word pharmacogenomics and break it down and tell me how these things interact. So it sounds like pharmacy. It sounds like genetics. What's pharmacogenomics? Perfectly put. So a combination of the two words, it is just a fancy way to describe how your genes impact medication response. Now, is this something that is unique to an individual throughout their life because it's genetic or is this something they could acquire a resistance to certain medicines? So this is something that will stand throughout the duration of someone's life. It is a one-time test, and just as a review from the last episode, it doesn't even have to involve blood. You can do a one-time cheek swab test, and this information will stand throughout the rest of your life. So the beautiful thing is that we're kind of early on with how many medications we've looked at, even though this report has got over 100 medications on it. But as we get more evidence and more literature and more data is done um, to just hopefully broaden how many medications come on these pharmacogenomic reports, but it's a one-time test and that'll hold true for the rest of your life. And there's a couple of general fields of medications or types of medicines that are often looked at. What are the big, broad categories? Sure. And so we can kind of go through the categories today if you want Dr. Kozak in our report, but just kind of flipping through the biggest ones that I see implications with are behavioral health and cardiology. And then there's some other really crucial takeaways with pain medications. We've got some anti-epileptic medications and neurology medications on this list. So it's really kind of broad spanning. I mean, even looking at some of the transplant medications that are on this list, it, it can be really imperative to clinical outcomes and overall response to medication therapy. All right. Well, let's start with cardiology as an example, because everybody's got a heart. 
and we want to make sure it stays healthy. And because of that, there are some significant implications with medications people use. And heart disease is one of the most common things that happens as we get older or even diagnosed in people who are young. So what are some of the common heart or cardiac medications that have direct implications with some variation in how people respond genetically to it? Sure. So looking at this cardiology panel, you'll notice Plavix is one that you already mentioned before. So we'll do a quick quick recap of Plavix metabolism. It's processed majorly by one pathway, but the genetic variants in populations are totally different. So Plavix, it's not given in its active form. Once it's in your body, this pathway converts it to the active medication, and it's given to help prevent clotting after you have a stent put in your heart. So 10 to 20% of Caucasian Americans don't process this medication into the active form. 40 to 50% of Asian Americans don't process it into the active form. And then up to 70% of Pacific Islanders don't process it into the active form. The scary thing about Plavix is that if it doesn't work for you, you've got another clot, you're back in the hospital, you're seeing thrombotic events that are really expensive and harmful to your body. So this is a really important one to know ahead of time. And I touched on this last time too, but the state of Hawaii specifically stewed the makers of Plavix in 2021 because they knew this information and they didn't disclose it when they were marketing it to our population. So that's just a big take-home hitter. A couple other ones, there's a bunch of statins listed in this panel. And so statins are used for high cholesterol. The gene that we look at here, it helps to facilitate the uptake of statins into the liver for medication processing. So if this gene doesn't work in your body, these statins hang around in your body for a really long time. And the most common side effect with statins is a lot of muscle pain. So this one actually hits really close to home for me because my mom is a poor metabolizer of this enzyme and of statins in general. So she gets terrible muscle pain when she's on statins. And the guidelines here, they tell us to lower the dose and they give some dose adjustments specific to the statin that the patient is on. So I'm looking, and I'll be honest, I can't think of a statin not on this list. <laughs> you know, I'm seeing here, you know, atorvastatin or Lipitor, fluvastatin or Lescol. I'm seeing lovastatin, Mevacor, Pivastatin. Yeah, I'm not good at pronouncing it. Nivalo, <laughs> Pravastatin, Crestar, Zocor. So essentially, if you don't have the ability to metabolize the statin, then you might have a problem because it'll linger in your body. Yep. So rather than taking a higher dose, you should actually take a lower dose. That's exactly Lower correct. is more effective. Mm-hmm. And it causes less side effects in your body. Now, I'm also kind of curious, what about that combination of someone who is on Plavix and on statins? Do we ever take a look to see what they would do to one another? Yeah, so that is part of when we do a pharmacogenomic report, we can look at how these medications play with one another. In this case, they're going through two separate pathways. So there's not necessarily huge drug-drug interactions between these two, but that is certainly something to think about when you have multiple medications that are going through the same pathway. If that pathway works really fast or really slow for a certain individual, we want to take all of that into consideration. Is there anything someone might see clinically in their lab testing or in their symptoms or side effects that would indicate, hey, I'm having a problem with the statin and maybe the metabolism of it? You know what? The biggest thing we see is really that side effect of muscle pain. Um, I don't know if in your clinical practice you're pulling a CRP or some kind of lab that would delineate that you're having muscle 
break down at any point. But There can be. There's a CK yeah. that's, that can be done. I often think, you know, sometimes people say, I swear I'm taking my statin and my numbers don't show it and I'm really not eating a lot of the kind of foods that would be problematic. And maybe that's one of the mm-hmm. potential ways that we see that mm-hmm. is there's just not the efficacy that we expect to be mm-hmm. because they're not able to metabolize it the way that we anticipate. It really... You know, there are some dose variations. Plavix is kind of like one dose wonder, but if it works for you, which is a big issue, but then some of the statins have a variation, 10 milligrams, 20 milligrams, you know, 40, 80. So we can titrate it up or down. But in fact, what you're saying is you really have to know how someone's responding to it because you might titrate in the wrong direction Mm -hmm. and therefore think you're doing good. And in fact, they're having some side effects or some other types of problems. Okay, Mm -hmm. so cardiac medications. The other one I see on this list, which I think we do have the potential ability to adjust is warfarin, Mm -hmm. because in that case, sometimes what'll happen is we can increase the dose if we, there's a therapeutic monitoring that has to be within a certain range. Mm -hmm. So is it, is that one of the blood thinning medicines that we actually have that ability to monitor? Yeah, so that that's the great thing about warfarin. It's one of our older blood thinner medications, but it's got so much evidence and literature behind it. I think it's actually one of the most researched medications. The problem with warfarin is that it's got a really narrow therapeutic window. So what that means is that there's an optimal range that you want to stay within that has the outcome that you want, depending on why you're taking warfarin. So this knowing this information ahead of time will give us a better way to dose adjust from the start and potentially get in that therapeutic window faster than if we were just randomly guessing or throwing on a standardized dose based on a certain algorithm that doesn't include pharmacogenomic testing. Sounds like it's really important to me because I know for years in medicine going through school trying to adjust warfarin, wondering why some person has such a tiny adjustment that makes such a big difference and another person, you've got to almost Mm -hmm. double it to get that effect. And this may have the explanation for it. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Corey Sanders. She is a pharmacist and founder of Huna Health and the president of the Hawaii Pharmacists Association. We're going to come back and talk about some other common medications that could have direct impact if you don't know what your body's dose would be for optimal health. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I'm here with Corey Sanders. She is a pharmacist and founder of Huna Health and the president of the Hawaii Pharmacists Association. And today we're talking about pharmacogenomics, how knowing what's going on genetically and how you respond to medication may mean all the difference between trying to prevent clots, trying to treat cholesterol, or trying to balance your overall emotional wellness. Now, right before the break, we were talking about different medications. We looked at cardiac medicines such as Plavix and statins and warfarin or Coumadin as it's otherwise known. But there's other groups of medications that often you want to know exactly how your body would metabolize them. And these days with the last couple of years with the pandemic and even before that, we see a huge need for an increased amount of behavioral health support. And sometimes that requires medication. Now, there's also some medications that people might find familiar that their body might respond differently than, than their physician may be aware of, and it may not be a one-dose 
or one size fits all. What are some of the common behavioral health medications involved? Yeah, so Dr. Kozak, I'll start by saying that I think this is where the biggest implications for pharmacogenomics are, just because of what happens when someone is in a mental health crisis and we don't know how to control that. So a lot of antidepressants take weeks, if not months, to work, and it often takes someone two or three antidepressants to find the right one that works for them. So when you have someone that is suicidal or truly emotionally distraught or admitted into an inpatient psych unit, having this ability to prescribe a medication that we know is going to work for them is really, truly life-changing. So some of the medications that are on this list in front of us, we've got paroxetine or Paxil is pretty common, venlafaxine or Effexor, citalopram or Celexa, and then escitalopram or Lexapro. But there's a couple other medications that I won't list them all. A lot of them fall into the category of selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor or SSRIs. And then we've also got SNRIs as well. So I'll give you an example here of looking at citalopram or escitalopram. And remember that pharmacogenomic testing, it helps us look at how fast each of these pathways works in someone's body. So when you get these results back, you'll notice that they're described as an ultra-rapid metabolizer, an intermediate metabolizer, a normal metabolizer, or potentially a poor metabolizer. So when we're looking at escitalopram or citalopram, I'll just spell this out in detail. If you are an ultra-rapid metabolizer of those drugs, you are going through them really, really fast. So in that case, those people probably need higher doses of those medications to reach a clinical endpoint where they feel mentally stable. And then think about that in the opposite trajectory as well. If you have someone that is a poor metabolizer of those medications, they likely need a dose reduction because it's hanging around their, their system for even longer. So those are just some of the ways that we can tangibly dose adjust medications based off of genetic response. Sometimes, though, we want to avoid those medications altogether. So there's different pathways that metabolize these mental health medications. And in some cases, we'll just choose another medication that's completely in a different pathway, and we won't even try to adjust the dose. So I'll be honest, I think of that, and I almost think, like, without knowing some of this information, we might be going in blindly as prescribers just trying to hope that a medication works. And the, the key difference with behavioral health is you mentioned someone might be in a crisis. But in addition to that, you don't really want to wait four to six weeks to see if somebody gets right. better. There's, there's a time frame. And you don't necessarily want to say to somebody, I hope it works. We'll find out six weeks later. Come on back. Let me know. There's got to be a little bit more of an urgency to that. Mm -hmm. So would knowing this information allow someone to choose a medicine class or even a medication type within within that class mm -hmm. that would allow them to see better efficacy sooner? That's exactly correct. So there's a couple studies that show how much faster someone goes into remission after they've had a pharmacogenomic test and they're having what's called genome-guided therapy as opposed to just blindly prescribing. And that's really, really so crucial in mental health and one of the reasons that I'm so passionate about using this testing ahead of time, specifically in these patients. So as you said, this is this is not even a blood test. It's a cheek swab. Somebody can do it. And that information pretty much lasts for their lifetime. I mean, mm -hmm. once you do this, you don't repeat it every five years. You know, you're getting data that will transcend whatever medications you need forward into the future. Mm -hmm. And from a provider perspective, too, I've noticed this when we've been using this testing in a clinic that I'm currently in right now. 
it is really improving the patient-provider relationship. So imagine that a patient comes into you and it's not, oh, here's your medication. This is the one I like the most. Come back to see me in four to six weeks. When you can present this data to patients and say, this is why I've chosen this medication for you, even if it doesn't work for them, I found that they're so much more willing to come back and to come see you and to continue clinical care with you as a provider and just really optimizing that patient-provider relationship when they feel like they're getting personalized health care and the best care that you can offer. Well, and it means that we have to tailor what we're doing to the individual. That's mm-hmm. truly, that's the definition of personalized. So there's two other classes I want to talk about. Sure. Uh, one of those is gastroenterology. I'm looking at this list and I'm saying, boy, there's a lot of folks on some of these <laughs> medications. Prilosec, Prevacid, Nexium, Dexalant. These are the omeprazole, the ezomeprazole, the lansoprazole. These are all the different medications that, that I deal with on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And I have patients come in and say, I, you know, I'm on this medication. A lot of stuff in the media has recently suggested taking a lower dose for the lo- for the shortest duration of time necessary. Always good for folks so mm-hmm. that you don't wind up on a medication longitudinally for you know decades. But there are some conditions where you need to be on medicines like this. One of my patients earlier today, Barrett's esophagus, he has to take this medicine because if he doesn't, he has a risk of esophageal cancer. So so there's some serious implications to taking medicines like this. How would you, if, if you found that someone was a poor metabolizer, we're looking at this report, poor metabolizer versus intermediate metabolizer, if I was the prescriber, how would that help me to make decisions on dosing? Sure. So there's a lot of, these are proton pump inhibitors, and a lot of proton pump inhibitors have actual dose adjustment recommendations in the pharmacogenomic guidelines. So for example, poor metabolizers, we want to do a 50% dose reduction in those patients for our PPIs. And then on the other end of the spectrum, our ultra rapid metabolizers, we actually want a dose increase by almost 100%. So like twice a day instead of once a day. Exactly, exactly. And another way to think about this too, so we mostly see these medications used for GERD or acid reflux, but you made a great point with Barrett's, something that is truly life-changing and you know you're going to be on this medication for an extended amount of time. But also think about there's an infection called H. pylori where PPIs are a backbone of treatment and now you've got a stomach infection that could potentially be very harmful if it goes uncontrolled. So remember, there there's no lab in Hawaii right now that's offering these tests. And so the turnaround time is really four weeks between pulling the cheek swab getting your results back, and then probably getting in front of a provider that can explain these results in a meaningful way to you. So you don't want to get to the point where, oh, gosh, I have this infection, or oh, gosh, I have this clot, or what am I going to do? Having proactive testing with pharmacogenomics is so important just because there is not a fast turnaround time right now in the state. And in some cases, particularly, I think, with blood thinners, mm-hmm. it could be it could be serious. It could be life or Truly. death. I mean, and I, it amazes me when we just to go back to the Plavix comment that was made, because sometimes patients on Plavix will also be put on these PPIs because mm-hmm. we'll tell them this could cause stomach bleeding, this could cause other troubles. <clears throat> so we'll suggest to them that they also take one of these other concurrent stomach medications. If you're a rapid metabolizer of one of the stomach protection medicines mm-hmm. and you're taking Plavix and you're okay with that medicine, if you don't have enough of the stomach protection, you still are leaving the potential of stomach bleeding for a proportion of the day mm-hmm. because you're not doing the protection that you're giving this medicine to try and affect. Mm-hmm. So not only do you have a clot issue, 
but you also potentially have a stomach bleed issue at the same time. Mm -hmm. And this is where we get into this really dangerous game of a prescribing cascade where something happens and we find a side effect or something that we think is a side effect, or we think that that PPI is not working correctly for the patient. So we add on another medication or we adjust another dose. And then you're on five, 10, 15 medications before you even realize it. And we haven't even fixed the problem. It's just mitigating side effect after side effect after side effect. So this is something else that can really help with the deprescribing of medications and streamlining to what is really important for each patient. We can stop treating some of these side effects and really dial down to what's important and get on that core therapy. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. We're going to continue our discussion and talk about what does HUNA Health provide that's different than what might have been out there up until then. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I'm here with Corey Sanders. She's a pharmacist, president of the Hawaii Pharmacists Association, and the founder of HUNA Health. We're going to talk about what that is in just a moment, but there's another class of medications. We've been talking about pharmacogenomics today. What is that intersection between medications and also your genetic predisposition to metabolizing those medicines? Earlier in the show, we talked about cardiac medicines. We've talked about behavioral health medications. We've talked a little bit about GI medicines like proton pump inhibitors. Now I want to talk briefly about pain medications because that's a whole nother area. Mm -hmm. The medical community has had a crisis with opioids, with the prescribing of them, with the intent to deprescribe them, with people's reactions to different medicines, their own pain threshold intolerance. And now I'm finding there's actually some genetic predisposition to how people metabolize pain medicine. Tell me more. (laughs) So I'll start just by setting the stage. I think you did a great job. Analgesics or pain medications are one of the top three most prescribed medications. And there is a striking statistic, too, that the pathway that converts opioids into their active form, if you are an ultra-rapid metabolizer or a poor metabolizer of that pathway, those patients end up in opioid dependency treatment three times more than the average person. So in this case, they're either getting low, low doses and having a very extremely high response, or in some cases, those patients really need higher doses of medication to alleviate their pain. So we can talk specifically about codeine really quickly. Codeine and tramadol are on this list, and they're metabolized by the same pathway. Codeine is metabolized into morphine, and that becomes the active active drug in the body. If you're an ultra rapid metabolizer and you are converting codeine into morphine really, really quickly, you are at extreme high risk for morphine toxicity. So we actually want to either avoid those altogether in ultra rapid metabolizing patients or significantly lower the dose. And then I'll play the same game that I've been playing this entire time. Think about this on the other end of the spectrum. If you're a poor metabolizer and you're not converting codeine into morphine, you're getting no pain response. So those patients are in extreme and excruciating amounts of pain sometimes, and it makes sense based off their genomic response. And I think sometimes we just have a bad reflux with opioids because, you know, we don't want to prescribe these medications a lot. We are in the middle of an opioid crisis. But some of those patients really do need higher doses, and that's what's clinically appropriate for them. So knowing that information, 
could be critical to helping to establish a true pain management plan for them Mm -hmm. to either continue them on the doses that are most appropriate for them, increase the dose if they really are saying it doesn't work and we know that they're having this metabolism issue, or decrease the dose at the onset. You know, sometimes people say, I've been told I'm really sensitive to medications per se. And they're like, don't give me a high dose because I have reactions to that. That could be literally true and all in their genetics. Mm -hmm. And if we don't know, if they don't know that they're sensitive to it, we could give them too much medicine and cause them to have serious reactions. Side effects, constipation, feeling lethargic, et cetera. Even respiratory depression go all the way up the spectrum. Okay. So Mm -hmm. really important to know exactly how the metabolism is. How is it that we don't do this more often? I mean, I prescribe these medicines all the time and now I'm afraid to write a prescription. Thank you so much. (laughs) But I mean, I think to me, it's like, if this is such critical information, I want all my patients to go get tested so that I know that I can treat them if they're on any of these medications in the best possible way. I know there's a lot of physicians in the same position. They're like, How do we get patients to get this information so that we can do better for them? Mm -hmm. What is that process? How do do I get to you? So the way to get to me is through my website, Huna Health. So huna-health.com. It is super easy to book an appointment with me right from my website. And the way that I see patients is in two separate appointments. So one, we do an initial consult where I do a comprehensive medication review with the patient. We go over this report together to make sure that it's something that they're comfortable with after seeing the medications that are on the report. And then the second follow-up appointment after the results are in is I sit down, I look at the results, I explain them to the patient. And then if there's any clinically actionable items that they can take to their provider or adjust themselves if it's an over-the-counter medication, I will give those in writing that they can share with their care team. And this is something that I tell each patient is you should have this copy, a copy of this report on you at all times. Well, not at all times, but when you go into a healthcare facility. And then this is something that should be scanned into your medication profile. And one of the things that I think is gatekeeping pharmacogenomics is really just payment from insurance and the infrastructure and the electronic medical records. I think once those are being built out or once those are built out more common, we'll see this much more often. But I do think it's going to be a bottom-up approach from patients and providers that are demanding to have this information for each of their patients before prescribing. So we've got patients that can go to hunahealth.com. We've got providers that can go to hunahealth.com. We've got providers who who could be patients who want to know their own (laughs) personal analysis, which I said I was going to do, and I'm a delinquent. I haven't done it yet, but it is on my radar. I'm going to do that, find out what are my drug-drug interactions. Mm -hmm. And if I need Plavix at some point in the future, what would be the necessary, If am I going to respond or not? Mm -hmm. And then we also have, you said, two other bottlenecks. We have insurance, because right now it may not cover for this test, but it's not exorbitantly expensive. I mean, to do the test, it's how much are we talking about here? So to do the test is right around $250. And then the cost that I charge for the consult, so a couple hours on either end, is is right around $500. But the way I put this in perspective, and I'm sorry, it's 500 total. So 250 for the test and 250 for me. And then the, put this in perspective, the cost of an ambulance, $450. The cost of one night in the hospital, $10,000. You know, kind of stack these things up with how much are you spending on inappropriate medications and where does this rank in order of importance to you and how can this streamline your therapy and save you that much money over time? I think it really comes back to, to make sense to do this proactively. 
Well, I hear you on that. And I think it particularly from the insurance perspective, this could save insurance companies a lot of money. From the personal perspective, yep. this may sound costly. You could probably use a flex spending account for yep. it. 100%. And you could also consider it as an investment in what it is that you need to do for your health. Like you said, reducing your your use of medication if it's not, if you're not being affected by it or treated by it correctly, it may direct your therapy to something different that could be even more effective. Mm -hmm. And one question that I got from a listener actually right after the first podcast is, or our first radio show was, will this affect me? How do I know that this will affect me? So 99% of people have a genetic variant that affects medication response. So 99%. There are so few things in life (laughs) that I can say 99%. Yep. Well, I got to tell you, we're going to have to have these talks periodically because I think this is so educational and helpful, not just from the patient perspective, also from the provider perspective. I want to thank you for sharing your expertise with us today on The Body Show. This was Corey Sanders, pharmacist, founder of Huna Health. HunaHealth.com is where they can reach you to get more information and look at some of this information that you provide and the service that is done to help people understand how their body responds to different variants of medications and what dose adjustments need to take place, the world of pharmacogenomics. If you'd like to hear the show again or find the original one, you can go to hawaiipublicradio.org, find the links to The Body Show. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week right here on The Body Show. We'll see you then. Woo!